guys. Welcome back. This is your host, McKenna Miller, and this is Today on the Gram. Today I have someone pretty special with me. I say that every week, but I've definitely picked these people out very intentionally. Some pretty smart and bright people. And today I have one of my good dear friends, Erica Valerio, uh, or Ricky as we called her in college. So me and Ricky went to Harding University together, and um, now we're in the same covenant group. And she is a children's minister in North Richland Hills. So Erica, say hi. Introduce yourself. Hi. I am so uh, blessed by my friendship with McKenna that I am so glad to be here today. So glad to be a part of McKenna's journey in the Enneagram. Um, so honored that we share the same number. Um so grateful that this friendship that we formed through the Bible department at Harding has continued and blessed my life post-grad. Yeah, so uh, Erica mentioned that we are the same number, and so we are what I would love to call <laughs> Enneagram twins. Um, we are both three-wing two, and you are three-wing two, right? Well, I was going to talk about that some. I think I'm more of a wing four these days, but uh, Ooh, yeah. Saucy. <laughs> Changing uh, it up. <laughs> well, I'm a three-wing, too, and we'll get into later what Eric is because I don't know. Maybe I don't even know now, which is, that's okay. So Erica and I had a lot of memories together in college, and it really was a good time, and I've learned a lot from her um, because I definitely used to be on the more, uh, let's just say I was really strict on some of my traditional theology, some of the things that I learned growing up that I just kind of stuck with because people that I trusted and loved believed those things. And she is definitely someone that I think of when I think about my journey and where I've come in some of those beliefs and theology that I have now. Um, she's a person that I would definitely say was very influential, influential um, in that part of my journey in that part of my my life and my walk with God. So thanks for being here. So yeah. excited to talk a little bit about ourselves. Um, you know, Erica did say that she's a three and I'm a three. And so we're Enneagram twins. And during this interview, I am going to interview her and I'm going to ask her about her personal experience. But I'll probably chime in a little bit on these answers just to give you my perspective of being a three as well. Because like we talked about that first week, you know, the Enneagram, when you look at it, there's only nine numbers and there's billions of people in the world. And, you know, everybody can be a part of this Enneagram community, this Enneagram journey. But when you think about it with billions of people and only nine numbers, you're like, how in the world do we fall into nine categories? Well, when you look at the color red, you know, there's infinite shades of the color red. And that's the same thing with this. And so we are both threes, but we're very different people. And that is okay. That's beautiful, actually. This is a cool podcast today. I'm excited to talk about this one because we get to share those experiences of how different two people in the same number can be. Um, so I'm really excited to go through this with y'all. Let's go ahead and start talking about the Enneagram and just dive right in. So I'm going to go ahead and <clears throat> read the three... Uh, states, different spaces that you can be in as a three um, for healthy, average, and unhealthy. Healthy threes. Healthy threes have transcended the goal of merely looking good and are moving toward being known and loved for who they are, not for what they accomplish. 
They still love to set goals, rise to challenges, and solve problems, but their self-worth is not tied to these things. They try to balance their abundant energy between work, rest, and some kind of contemplative practice, recognizing the importance of being instead of doing. They feel valuable, which unleashes a tender benevolence that is focused on the common good. Average threes push achieving to overachieving, spending too much time at work or the gym. Highly driven, their need to perform even extends to the time they spend coaching the children's soccer team or volunteering at church. They see love as something to be earned, so they quiet their inner convictions, valuing what others define as success and striving to do more and do it better. They are confident in their abilities, but also image conscious, constantly worrying that a poor performance will cause them to lose standing in other people's eyes. Unhealthy threes find failure unacceptable, which renders them unable to admit mistakes and causes them to behave as though they are superior to others. Desperate for attention, threes may turn the deadly sin of self-deceit into the sin of intentional deceit, telling others fabricated stories about themselves and their accomplishments in order to maintain their image. At their worst, unhealthy threes can be petty, mean, and vengeful. After hearing those descriptions, where do you find yourself today, now, in this moment? What space do you find yourself in? Yeah, I um, have been on this Enneagram journey for pretty seriously for the last 18 months or so. Um, really f- spending a lot of time focusing on analyzing and, and understanding who I am. And so I am hopeful because I see uh, glimmers of hope, of healthiness that I see throughout my life. Um, But I would say right now I'm in pretty average territory. I think that there's moments of healthy and unhealthy in every day, Um, but I find myself in a pretty uh, average space most commonly these days. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think I would agree with that. I think that I... Um, especially reading the descriptions that I would say I'm very much an average, average space in this moment during this recording of this podcast, but reading the unhealthy, I, I swear like reading it, I'm like triggered almost because I know I've been there mm-hmm. so many times. Brings uh, back some, uh, not so fun memories some, for sure. Some tough memories. Absolutely. Um, so you talked a little bit about how, You've been studying this for a few years now, and I would agree that I've been on this journey for a couple years, but how did you originally come across the Enneagram, and how did you come to identify as a three? Yeah, so I learned about the Enneagram my last semester of college. Um, It was a passing conversation topic in the library with some friends, and I said, I have no idea what you're talking about. Mm -hmm. I was focused on my papers that I was writing, and my friend, shout out to Bethany Moore, Bethany convinced me to take the online assessment and encouraged me to not stop there. Um, I was focused on graduating and applying for jobs and was concerned about a whole lot of other things and so I took it it told me that I probably was a three and I just kind of read the description said this kind of sounds true but I don't really see how that plays out and just kind of took it with a grain of salt I said it's just another personality assessment Mm -hmm. whatever Mm -hmm. 
and continued on my way. Well, I was in the middle of figuring out what post-grad was going to look like. I was in the middle of an internship that gave me the opportunity to either finish at the end of the semester with my graduation or to continue through to May. And I so desperately wanted to continue that internship through May. And there was a week where I was trying to figure out the logistics. I simply wasn't making enough to really make it happen. I didn't know how I was going to pay rent or to, um, to live if I tried to stay in Searcy. And I had a phone call with my mom that she was assuring me that if I couldn't make it work, I could move home. Um, like a good mom, she said all the right things of, look, like you are welcome home. I will prepare your room for you. We will make it work and you can save money while you try to find a full-time job in ministry. And in that moment, I definitely was in some unhealthy space mm. for sure. But my, the words that came out of my mouth were, I can't do that because I'd be a failure. Mm. And it's in reflecting in that moment of kind of saying, why did I say that? Why, why was that my first instinct? Because staying in Cersei wasn't going to give me a full-time job. I knew that. I knew that that internship would come to an end. And I knew that there were going to be a lot of challenges in trying to make it work. But in that moment, I knew that the greater evil was the failure of moving home uh, after college without having a job. And so it's in that that I said, and I was like, this kind of sounds like that Enneagram stuff that my friend Bethany told me about. And I went back and I looked and I said, this is what I'm feeling. This need to achieve, this need to be successful, to have the appearance of success mm -hmm. is what I was feeling in that moment. Um, and the Enneagram ever since then has been a really great tool for when I'm like, why have I responded to this situation like this? Mm -hmm. It's been a really great tool for me to better understand this is what's going on in my heart of hearts, in the depths of my brain. This is why my behavior is acting this way mm -hmm. in response to these situations. Yeah. Wow. I completely agree with that. It, it just takes over your life and you see things in so many different perspectives in ways that you just like never thought of before. I will say that for me, the first time that I ever encountered the Enneagram, I was a senior in college and I was applying for jobs and could not get hired anywhere um, because of a certain thing about myself that I can't change, <laughs> um, which was unfortunate. But I ended up taking a long internship, which turned into like an apprenticeship, which eventually turned into an interim youth minister. So I was there in Oklahoma for eight months and I loved my time there. And I know like now that that's where I needed to be. That's where God placed me. But when I was first interviewing there, um, the youth minister was like, hey, what's your Enneagram? And I was like, 
my what? <laughs> like, what is that? And he was like, oh, it's this great thing. It's, you know, it's the trend. It's super fab. And I was like, okay. Um, but so he made me take the quiz and he sent me one that was really in depth, like super long. I don't know if it was free or not, like if he had paid for it and then sent it to me, but it was really in depth and I took it and it, <clears throat> it told me I was a three and I was reading the description and like a lot of it sounded accurate, but then like as I kept reading on, I was like, this is not me. Like, I'm not that mean. Like, it kept saying things like, we'll do anything to get ahead, including, like, sacrificing others. Like, being horrible to others to to get ahead and that competitive nature. And there were parts of me that I was like, that is me. But I was so shameful that I didn't want to admit it was me. And also it talked about it being, like, this cheerleader, prom queen, uh like political person. And I was like, that is not me. Like, I am not the kind of person that's just, you know, that pretty girl that everyone's like, Oh my gosh. And like fawns over and like wins prom queen and all that stuff. You know, but I was like in high school, I look back and I was like, I was really well liked. And I am an extremely competitive person. Extremely. <laughs> that is like the one thing I will say not the one thing about the three, because now I've learned about it more and I'm like, yeah, that it's me. But well, that was the first thing I clung to, I would say, because that number is described as a very competitive person. And I, um, I don't think about it as much in like a work environment because I'm not the kind of person that would put others down to get ahead, typically. <laughs> but I will say when it comes to sports, because I played sports growing up or even now like fantasy football, I get real heated real heated and it is something that I'm very competitive about it's actually funny the other weekend I was with some of my friends at our young life retreat and there's this new guy that I met named Austin super cool guy um hey if you're listening <laughs> but we were talking about playing a game on Sunday and we were going through games and I was like oh let's play ERS and he was like yes that's the one we're playing and I was like okay great Knowing in the back of my head, I'm so good at this game and I'm going to whip his butt and I'm going to like impress everyone. And it's going to be great. This was definitely unhealthy McKenna. And he totally beat me and I was so mad. Like I tried to hide it. But like even Jonathan was like, I love seeing you mad like this. I love seeing your competitive side because it's funny to him. Like it's comical how into it that I get and how competitive I am about it. And Oh, it's the worst. So I'm so sorry to everyone on that retreat, but that's me sometimes. <laughs> um, but so after that, after I took the quiz, like I didn't study it a lot more until the later that year in like November, this was like back in March, but later in November, I went to conference and Ian Morgan Cron was actually speaking at conference. And he was speaking specifically about the Enneagram, you know, because he is the co-author of this book we're reading. And I was like, okay, maybe I should get a little more into it. So I studied a lot more then. I read the book. I listened to the podcast. And I was like starting to solidify like, wow, like this is really, this is me. And then it was just very much, this is absolute. When we had Covenant Group last year, in Covenant Group, we studied the Enneagram. And we, there were so many things that I was like, wait, what? Wait, what? And I would ask, Erica can attest to this. I ask questions probably every time during teaching because the three is so confusing. Like, especially when she was talking about, um, 
you know, how we're dominant and repressive in the exact same feeling stance. And I'm just like, that doesn't make sense. But it does make sense when you explain it. And it makes me so frustrated that I'm wired that way. But, um, you know, and we'll get a little, we'll get more into that later. But that was my experience across the Enneagram. And I think that all of us have just a different way of coming about it. But it starts with some kind of like, eh, skeptical. And then once you're hooked, you're hooked. Like, would you agree with that? Yeah, I would say that as soon as you recognize, as soon as the Enneagram becomes a tool that helps you understand something about yourself better, it's addicting because Mm -hmm. things start to make sense. Mm -hmm. You mentioned being, feeling dominant and feeling repressed uh, as Enneagram threes. And that really came to life in covenant group for me of we did a spiritual exercise that talked about recognizing the feelings of people in scripture and as Betsy led us through that I she had us identify them what would Moses was the passage we were where you were reading through we were reading through um about Moses and she asked us to identify what feelings, what emotions he might be experiencing. Mm. And then she read through the passage again and asked us to experience those emotions as Moses would have experienced them. And in processing the exercise, I threw out there, I said, it was really easy for me to identify what emotions Moses was experiencing in this passage. But when you read through it again, I could not put myself in that place. I could not force myself to feel those emotions. And later in that, in that same meeting, Betsy was talking about us being feeling dominant and feeling repressed. And she looked at me and she said, remember when you said you couldn't feel Moses's feelings that right there. And even since then, I'm able to see how feeling being both feeling dominant and feeling repressed plays out in my life of, Mm -hmm. I assess situations with people based off of their feelings and their emotions. Mm -hmm. And then I, in turn, can go weeks or months without really wrestling with or identifying any emotions in myself. Absolutely. Because in so many situations, I've found that accessing or utilizing my emotions has not been successful. Because as I learned that I in myself have found that utilizing emotions and feelings is of my own is not what helps me be more successful. And so oftentimes I get to covenant group and it's time for me to actually process what I'm feeling. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, Betsy, I hate this (laughs) because there's no way of being successful in your feelings. Yeah. Your feelings just are. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's a hard place for a three to, to sit in. Yeah. I definitely find myself being able to read everyone. I can, I can tell how everyone in the room is feeling perfectly every time. No question. Almost perfectly, I guess I'll say. But then when it comes to myself, I just push it down and down and down until I just finally explode. And so that's, that's a part for me of like being 
where I've found myself needing to strive for a healthy space most often is through my, through that part, through feelings, because I know that I have total breakdowns when I do hide my emotions, Mm -hmm. but I also, I I still do it. And so I try to strive not to, because I think, you know, uh, in my connection group the other week, we were talking about, or my community group, we were talking about what is something that people think about you that is a total lie. And I said, it was, it came so quickly to me too. I said, people think I'm happy all the time. And like, that's just not the case, mm-hmm. not the case at all. But I get so annoyed and embarrassed when people say, Hey, what's wrong? You don't, you're not laughing. You're not smiling. What's wrong with you? Like instantly thinking that there's something wrong with me because I'm not laughing or smiling, which is also not the case. But sometimes if it is, I'm like, I don't want to talk about it. Like, I'm mm-hmm. suppressing my emotions. Let's talk about your emotions. Let's talk about your feelings. I don't want to talk about mine. Mm-hmm. So, oh, man, I I feel that. Let's talk a little bit about that, though. What are times in your life when you've noticed yourself being unhealthy? Yeah, I think, um, I think not to spend too much time on that season where I was graduating college. Um, that was probably one of the most prominent seasons of unhealth for me because so much of my life was dependent on my ability to be seen as successful. And that's not just as being a three, but in doing job interviews and trying to figure out where I was going to live and what I was going to do. And, um, being rejected for a lot of jobs as an Enneagram three was very painful and very hard. And, um, I remember having a conversation with a mentor, um, at the church that I was working at in Searcy and she talked to me for a long time about how she for a long time struggled with separating her achievements and her success from her identity. Mm-hmm. And the entire time I remember thinking, yeah, this all sounds great, but like, that's my whole thing. Like <laughs> that's, that's who I am. Let's mm-hmm. my, and, and not really fully understanding to the extent of, uh, the fullness of the Enneagram and at that point. And so in that unhealth, it was very personal, every job rejection, very personal. Um, anytime, uh, somebody got a job that I was going for Mm -hmm. very personal, um, very much an attack on my worth, um, and the way that I saw myself every time that, uh, a friend got a job, these moments where I should be excited and Mm -hmm. thrilled that a church is finding a minister that fits their body well, or a friend is finding a job in their career that they love. Just this level of like anger and pure just hatred. Um, maybe not pure hatred uh, because I still loved my friends. But there was so much um, just like pent up anger in that season. Um, and even now, like anger's one of the. Anger is one of the emotions that I feel 
most readily mm-hmm. um, that I let myself feel um, partially because it doesn't require the most vulnerability um, all the time. But, um, but in seasons where I feel most unhealthy, I can recognize that that anger is present mm-hmm. and readily accessible at any given point in time. Yeah, I would say I've talked a little bit about this already. My competitive nature it can be something that is so good for me because it does help me. Um, if I utilize it into a healthy state and until a healthy space, it is something that is so helpful. Mm-hmm. But if I don't, it is something that really strains on my relationships with others. That's where I see it harming the most because people don't want to be around someone who's that competitive, that aggressive, wanting something that badly. I've also noticed that, you know, none of us, I think, are having a great old time with, you know, the past eight months, but especially towards the beginning of quarantine, I, um, I'm going to be a little vulnerable with y'all on this podcast today. I was in a space that I just, I can't even describe. I don't think it was depression, but there were definitely signs of that. There were days when I literally just like couldn't even get myself to shower. I just, I was so upset with not being able to perform the way that I know that I can, with not being able to fix what was going on, fix other people, with not being able to process my own emotions. I suppressed it to a point where I just would lie in bed and cry for days and it was just awful. It was so bad. Um, And it took me a while to get out of that. But I just, and it wasn't even like the stress. It was necessarily, it was not being able to see people I love, not being able to touch people, um, not being able to perform in my job or just in life in general with all the things I could, that I know I can do and that I want to do. I just shut down for a while. And I'm so thankful that I've gotten out of that and that I've had lots of conversations with the Lord about that and a lot of conversations with other people. But at the beginning, I think that was one of the most unhealthy states I've ever seen myself in because it was also because I could Im- immediately recognize it because I've done so much work on the Enneagram. And that was the hard thing too, is that I was recognizing it so well, but I also couldn't bring myself out of it immediately. And that was the hardest thing was like, I know how to fix this, but I can't do it yet. I just wasn't at that moment. I wasn't strong enough. So that was really hard. And I think that is probably one of the most unhealthy times in my life that I just, I just, I didn't want to eat. I didn't want to play. I didn't, I just wanted to lay in bed and not even watch Netflix, just have it on, but just like stare mindlessly doing things that were so numbing just to like not be able to like feel anything because I couldn't express my emotions. So I just didn't want to feel anything, which is just like insane to like say that now. And I know that is so vulnerable. And so I'm sorry for like sharing all that, but that was hard. Yeah. I went through a very similar experience, especially in second half of March and beginning of April and probably even into May of, All of our events were canceled. Um, Mm -hmm. I wasn't able to see my kids. 
I wasn't able to go into the office. I lived by myself. Mm. Um, so I was very lonely. And as Enneagram 3s, uh, we move into nines in stress and <clears throat> stress doesn't always mean just uh, you're busy and you're stressed out. Uh, stress just means that to put it simply, life's hard. Um, and life was hard yeah. in, in lockdown and, and still is hard. There's still a lot of stress that I see in myself as a result of the pandemic. And, and I, I, felt the same things in myself and still residually feel it of um, this uh, pull to be in this unhealthy nine space of numbing out. Um, I had very minimal responsibilities in the beginning of the pandemic. We were putting out curriculum for our families and one of my jobs was to edit the video and, uh, it just had to be done before Sunday mm-hmm. and oftentimes it would be done Saturday night Yeah, because I, even though I knew I had minimal work to do, I could not pull myself to do it. Yeah, And I, in all of that, uh, wrestled a lot with feeling worthless. Mm-hmm. Um, I have a good friend, Natalie, who, um, was a really good friend through all of it. Um, and I remember telling her that I felt like a garbage human being Mm. because I was laying on the couch all day. I was watching Netflix all the time. I, um, if I was doing work, it was between the hours of 10 PM and 2 AM and there was just this level of just misery that coded everything that mm-hmm. I was doing. And um, luckily, Natalie, being a good friend, said, you don't talk to my friend like that. Mm. And you don't let yourself speak to yourself that way. Yeah. And, and it was that moment of her challenging my view of myself that I said, I got some work to do. I'm in unhealthy space. Thank you for sharing that. On the flip of that though, when are times in your life when you've noticed yourself being healthy? Yeah. Um, so being an Enneagram three and wanting to be successful, um, I think boundaries are really hard for both twos and for threes. Um, And I see health in myself when I am comfortable setting boundaries, especially with work. There are some times where I feel guilty about setting boundaries, um, but I, I feel that health in myself, um, that rhymes, (laughs) Uh, the health in myself when I am comfortable setting those boundaries, um, when I am comfortable just being um, and not feeling like I have to do or um, be constantly on, um, when I find that I more readily am able to access vulnerability or my emotions, um, 
and so in seasons of um, where I'm confident and comfortable in the environments that I'm in um, is where I really tend to see a lot of that in myself. Yeah, I think that that was something that I struggle with and I still have to get there. But I think I have been more healthy about that. Taking a day off is just hard. And I've had people tell me, you know, I shut my phone off, especially like in ministry. I shut my phone off. I make sure I don't check emails. And I just unplug for a whole day. And I'm like, do you know how much can happen in a day? Like, what? Um, And so that's been something that has been really hard for me, especially like I think I got to a decent place with it. But then with the pandemic, it's like, especially at the beginning, I was like, I feel like I have every day off because I can't be with my kids. Like, I can't take a day off now. And so I haven't really found that rhythm again yet. But I will say that for my healthy side, some of the places where I notice just really good attributes of being a three, I would say that because I read people's emotions so well, I can say I'm a very empathetic person. Um, I can just, I'm really good about meeting people where they're at. I also would say that my competitive nature can be a hindrance, but it can also be something that is so good because since we strive for success, we are successful in our jobs as long as we don't, or in our life, like we don't make that our entire identity. But you know, one thing I used to get told all the time when I was younger and I didn't really understand it when I was younger. And now I'm like, okay, it makes sense is you're coachable. Mm. And I was like thinking it was only with sports, but people would tell me that in context, context that weren't with sports. And I was like, what do you mean? But that is something that I would say I am a very coachable person because I do want to be successful. And I, not just for myself, but for my students, um, for our entire congregation, for the people in my life that I love, um, I want them to have the best version of me. And so when there's things that aren't going right, I want to have open communication about that. I want them to tell me what I can fix so then I can actually fix it. I think that was one of my, the things I noticed was one of my biggest pet peeves growing up was like, this person has a problem with me and they won't tell me what's wrong. Like, how am I supposed to fix it if I don't know what's wrong? And so I would say that that is one thing that I really strive to be as a coachable person in every aspect of my life because I want to be successful, successful for other people. Is there ever times when you think that being a three is a challenge for you? And if so, how? For sure. I mean, I 100% have a love-hate relationship with being a three. (laughs) Um, There's parts of me where I get frustrated with myself of, well, like, why are you so caught up on being all things for all people? Why are you so caught up on um, having to work all the time? How, like, why is it so hard for you to be vulnerable? Why is it so, like, all of these things that I'm like, these are the things that I need to do. I, like, very much in a three manner. Mm -hmm. These are the things that I need to do. All right, now just do it. Mm -hmm. Because that's the way that I approach so much of my life of I'm very... I'm very much able to analyze what needs to be done and I do it. That's often the way that I approach my job. That's often the way that I approach relationships. And then now having the Enneagram language to put um, words to experience, Mm -hmm. I can see ways that 
it's like, all right, these are the things that I need to do. Mm-hmm. Now just do it. Mm-hmm. So things like it's very important for threes to have healthy, true rest. Mm-hmm. And I find myself constantly filling up my days off uh, with things that need to get done. It's like, dang it, I was supposed to rest today. Like, (laughs) what am I doing? And so in that um, moment, the the rest is what brings healing and brings growth. And I find myself constantly pushing that time for true rest out of my out of my schedule out of the forefront of my mind because that doesn't serve me to get anywhere Mm -hmm. I think for me one of the things that's a challenge of being a three is how image conscious I can be Mm -hmm. I hate this about myself but it's the reality that I I do like attention and I think that that's always seen as such a negative thing and I don't think it has to be but just typically in our society, wanting attention is a negative thing. But I do. I like to perform. Um, I grew up performing my whole life singing and acting in musicals and um, even in sports. I mean, that's kind of a performance. I like to be in front of people. I like to be around people at all times. I like to have friends. And so there's times when I feel like a Threes and generals can be seen as like clingy or just attention seeking in a negative way to where, you know, people just don't want to be around them. And I don't want to be that person. Mm. And I think that that's hard because there are times when I care so much about what people think about me when I'm in an, definitely when I'm in an unhealthy space. But I think it is a really good thing to be a three. And I am, you know, Betsy talked about that last week. She said she really liked this question and I haven't asked it to everyone, but it is a time to reflect on, you know, she was talking about people love to, so they're helping, they're warm. And that is so true. But I think people like being around this too. I think one thing that I never feel this in myself or I never used to feel this in myself, but people would always say, you are so confident. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, what? No, I'm not. I mean, I'm good at looking confident. Now I actually feel like I am, but it took me a long time to get there. Mm-hmm. And honestly, it might've been because how, how many people said you are so confident, but that is one of those good things about being a three is that we are just naturally confident people because we're confident in ourselves and we're seen as, you know, successful. I just, I really love that about ourselves. And I love, I love, love, love how well we deal with people because we know what they're feeling through being feeling dominant and through being empathetic people. So tell me a little bit about being a three in your work environment as a minister. Yeah. Um, this is actually really funny. Um, in looking at some Enneagram stuff, there's a lot of threes that are in ministry. There's a lot or a lot of ministers that are threes. Um, And some of that talks about how Enneagram threes are workhorses. They work until they get the job done, which makes them really great employees. Um, But part of how threes are described is they're chameleons. So we as threes 
are really able to connect with so many different types of people. And I see that in my work environment the most of connecting with my preschoolers that I minister, minister to directly or our kids that I minister to with my co-minister um, or families or parents or grandparents, whatever the family situation is, being able to connect with them. Um, and that chameleon trait really serves well because there are so many different life experiences that people are experiencing in the same church mm-hmm. under the same roof. Mm-hmm. And as a chameleon, um, I know we'll talk later about the self-deceit mm-hmm. aspect of it. Um, but being a chameleon really serves us well in connecting with so many different people. Mm-hmm. Um, working hard really serves us well in being able to adapt and change um, and think critically about different things Um, we are thinkers and we're doers and we assess with our feelings and it really serves us well with working with people. Um, earlier you talked about how threes are politicians. Well, ministers are basically politicians in the church. Uh, it's, we don't talk about it that way. Yeah, don't don't tell me that. (laughs) We don't see it that way. Um, but it really is true. Mm -hmm. We are dealing with other people's emotions a lot. We are dealing with other people's burdens a lot. Mm -hmm. And being able to analyze emotions for other people without automatically putting in our own Mm -hmm. really serves us well in a lot of ways. It can turn ugly really quickly, too. (laughs) But it really serves us well working with people day in, day out. Yeah, I would agree with that 100%. And I, I don't think I really have much else to say about that just because you said that so well you know we as ministers we're in the people business and threes deal well with people and so it really does it matches up well and I I love that we can use that in our ministry let's talk a little bit about what you mentioned the deadly sin of threes and so the deadly sin of threes is deceit And I'm going to read that description. It says, Threes value appearance over substance, abandoning their true selves to project a false, crowd-pleasing image. Threes buy their own performance and deceive themselves into believing they are their persona. Do you think that applies to you? And if so, in what ways? Yeah, so I try not to think about this a lot. (laughs) (laughs) Same. Um, And so when you mentioned it, that we would be talking about that, I was like, oh, yeah, I forgot about that. And I was like, it made sense the first time I heard it, but I don't see it anymore. And I sat back with it for a little while of, all right, how does this really come into fruition in my life? And really the way that deceit comes into play of, I want you to like me. Mm-hmm. I want you to see me as successful and I want you to be able to look at me, see an image of success. And that image of success, I wrestled with a lot initially because I never felt like 
I was always striving for like a bigger, better job or anything like that. Um, or more time in the spotlight, but, um, that image of success looks very different in, I think even in a ministry context of, I see myself as successful when I connect with you. Um, I see myself as successful when, um, when an event goes well and I will do anything for you to value the work that I do Mm. or value, um, value what I bring to the table. And so with that, if I'm trying to connect with a family and it's, and I'm in an unhealthy place, I will nod and I will grin and I will do um, anything I can to connect with you because that's what's successful in that moment because of my job. Mm. And I could not, there are times where I'm in an unhealthy space that morning or that evening and I am not listening to you. I don't really care about what you're saying to me. I'm not present and I'm not engaged. And with that, that deceit, I'm putting on the correct face. I'm nodding in the right places. I'm mm-hmm. I'm, <laughs> I'm oh man, yeah. like I'm responding in the way that is appropriate for me to be a successful per- like person in your life. And that's where deceit comes up the most in my life of, I will do anything to deceive you so that you think I'm successful, so that you, you value me as a listener, as a minister in your life. Mm. And that's, that's where I hate my number. I'm like, yeah. dang, like, I am the worst. <laughs> I like, why is that my, my nature to do that? Why can't I just actually be a good person? And like, why can't that be the end of the story? Mm-hmm. But deceit comes out in a lot of different ways. Other than that of, I think of social media. Threes are great on social media. <laughs> they are fun influencers and even in conversations recently of just being honest with friends across the country of like, yeah, life is still really hard. Like my ministry isn't where I want it to be. And they're like, wait, what? It looks like, great. It looks great. You're doing great. <laughs> and that's where deceit really comes into play. Yeah. And that's a big ouch because I love social media. I will retweet. <laughs> I will gladly admit that I took a selfie this morning, yeah. like as a three. Um, but that's, there's a lot of deceit in that and, and left unchecked, um, threes lose the ability to access their authentic self, um, which is something that is just defeating. And so it sounds so sad. Um, when I think about that, I feel so sad for us threes. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, also so glad that there's this great tool that that puts words to these experiences. Yeah, I I don't know how I haven't thought about that yet, but deceit in my life looks a little different than this. But now I'm like, wow, there's a whole other side of deceit that I didn't even think about before. But you're right, with social media, um, 
this was pre Enneagram work, but I took a fast in uh, Dr. Adair's class one year. I did a social media, I did a fast from a lot of things, but one of the things was social media and it was for an entire month. And I felt so at peace that month. But I think I, at that time, I thought it was more of because of the fact that I wasn't seeing everybody else's great life and feeling envious of that. But I think that's part of it too, is that like everybody else has so much great stuff that you have to meet that. Or in my case, with my competitive nature, I have to beat that. Mm -hmm. I have to be better. Mm -hmm. And so I have to look like I'm doing all this fun stuff and it's so great and I have all these friends and I have great relationships with my parents and with Jacob and all this stuff. Um, And I love Jacob, don't get me wrong. But like, I never post pictures of Jacob when he's yelling at me or when he's crying Mm -hmm. or when he's like throwing a fit. I post pictures of me and Jake smiling. You know, that's... That's what people do, especially when you have kids. You don't want to post pictures of them, like, having a blowout in their diaper. You want to Mm -hmm. post a picture of them sleeping peacefully, cuddling with you. Like, it's just, everyone does it, but I definitely feel myself doing that. Where I see deceit in my life, not as much, because I've done a lot of work on myself for this. But it, (laughs) it wasn't until I read that in the book that I was like, oh my gosh, I do that all the time. But I used to tell white lies all the time. Mm. I feel so much shame admitting that. But it is just, it's the truth that there were so many that, they're small, but there were so many that I was like, I couldn't remember what was the truth. I couldn't remember what actually happened. But I would be telling someone a story and I would just tweak Mm. just these little parts, just little sections, adding some sprinkles in there. Some rainbow sprinkles. (laughs) And the thing is, it probably didn't even make the story that much better. But in my head, I was like, that sounds better. They're going to like me more. Mm -hmm. They don't know the original story. And they honestly, they probably don't care that much in the first place. Mm -hmm. We're just having a conversation. We're just getting to know each other. We're just enjoying each other's company. Mm -hmm. They don't care about this one little detail Mm -hmm. that I change. But in my head, I was like, this makes me sound so much cooler, so much better. And... I look back on that and I was like, I'm so dumb. Like, how can I do something like that to be like, this makes me sound so great. No, I definitely like see that in myself too, especially in grade school of I, for some reason felt shame in how frequently my family ate fast food. Mm. And so we would be sitting at the lunch table in grade school and for some reason, grade school kids love to talk about what they had for dinner the night before. <laughs> yeah. And I remember that one of my favorite go-tos, and I just thought I was being funny and clever, um, was they'd say, oh, Erica, what'd you have for dinner? And I'd say, well, I had some, like, chicken and potatoes, and we had, like, this, like, tomato sauce type thing that went with it. And it was me saying I had chicken nuggets and french fries with ketchup (laughs) like but for some reason it I felt like having a a quote-unquote home-cooked meal sounded more successful or better in Mm. that environment but in fact like those kids probably would have been like you had McDonald's for dinner what like my mom never takes me to McDonald's (laughs) like and they would have thought that that was cool but it wasn't my perception of what was successful in that moment but just I often think about that I was like I was such a weird kid to like be like yeah I had 
chicken and potatoes with this tomato sauce. I <laughs> love that. I mean, like, I'm sorry. That's just so, that's so funny and also so great. Like, it makes me want to do that now. Like, if there's ever one night where I'm just like, I'm so hungry and I have no time to cook anything and I'm just like, I'm just going to go get a burger or... Or I guess I'm trying to think of like how to make a burger sound fancy, but with the chicken nugget thing, be like, I had um, pieces of chicken breast cut up with <laughs> roasted potatoes that were golden brown <laughs> and this beautiful, sweet tomato sauce. Like, <laughs> that would be great. Man, that's funny. I love that. So with your spiritual life, though, when you think about, you know, the ways that you connect to God, your soul care time, how do you think your number plays into that? And, and are there ways that you think that you connect to God better because of your number or are there ways that you prefer to worship because of your number? Yeah, I think that um, the more I understand myself and my number, um, there are ways that I'm I'm drawn to, and there's uh, ways that I uh, I need to grow in uh, that are valuable that I'm not naturally inclined to, but grow me as a human. Mm-hmm. Um, I, in my prayer time, have uh, struggled for years, um, and used to be ashamed to say that prayer was hard for me, um, but started using prayer liturgies to, to guide my prayer time. And, um, that's very, a three thing to do. I feel like not to weaponize the number on myself, but to have something to do, um, really helped me to connect to God. Um, because I felt like I needed things to do. Um, so prayer liturgies or, um, even things like Lectio Divina, things that keep me kind of actively engaged in the process. Um, I used for a long time in, if I was doing just personal study, um, the organization, if, um, would put out resources and just use the same three questions of like, what did you learn about God? What did you learn about yourself? What did you learn about the world? Um, but having structure to it helped me connect to God. But the more I learn about threes, the more I learn about who I am I'm learning that vulnerability is important, uh, which is hard. Um, I'm learning that rest is important, Mm. which is hard. Mm -hmm. That accessing my emotions is important, and that's really hard. Um, And so those are things that um, I've been trying to incorporate more to keep myself uh, connected to my authentic self of, all right, like, how do we incorporate true rest or Sabbath um, in my life? Not like, and I used to always think that, all right, Sabbath means that I need to have all these spiritual exercises lined up for me to, to do all day on Sabbath. And it's like, no, like <laughs> stop putting your agenda and your, your schedule onto a Sabbath, like rest and be present with the Lord. Yeah. Or, journaling, um, and accessing how I'm feeling about things. 
um, how I'm feeling about my relationship with God, how I'm feeling about the world, how I'm feeling about anything, um, and accessing those emotions more frequently helps me stay in touch with who I am and helps me connect more with God. So as I engage more in practices of rest and practices of just self-evaluation, the more I find that I connect to God in new ways, um, which has done wonders for me being able to um, know who I am and where I stand and stay rooted in my identity um, rather than staying focused on my actions and my work um, and a, gives me so much more freedom in, all right, like I didn't uh, do these specific things for a week or whatever and feeling shame because of that. It's like, no, like allow yourself to connect with God in authentic and vulnerable ways. And it doesn't have to look a specific way and giving myself that grace, honestly, um, has transformed the way that I, I allow myself to connect with God. Yeah, I would say that <clears throat> there's definitely ways that I am more inclined and ways that I prefer to connect with God, definitely through communal worship, through singing, through being creative in art. And then there are things, like you said, that challenge me, but I know that they're necessary and They've helped me grow by doing, you know, our covenant group homework that involves accessing your feelings and different times when, I mean, I remember last covenant group, Shelby was like, wow, I needed that, that time of rest. And I was sitting there and I was like, yeah, I needed that too. But I never give myself that unless we're, unless we're in an environment where I'm being told by Betsy to, hey, you need a rest for 10 minutes. You're going to be silent. I don't practice that as often as I should because it's something that does scare me um, because I'm just so it's not how I prefer to worship. Mm -hmm. But I think that it has helped me grow a lot. And I think that accessing my emotions and journaling and writing that down and being able to recall it later is something that has really helped me grow. Erica, is there anything else that you just want to say about the Enneagram in general, something about, uh, you know, our stress numbers, our triad, anything like that? Yeah. Um, I would just say for anybody who's starting this journey um, and you find yourself to be identifying as a three is be gentle with yourself. Mm. Um, threes also can be very critical of themselves and that's hard. Um, be gentle with yourself. Um, recognize the good and the bad and sit with it, rest in it, um, take it to God, and don't feel like you immediately have to fix it. Because mm. that's where you're going to be prone to go is, all right, let me fix this. Yeah, Let me just be better. Do better. And that's not going to be the most helpful for you but to recognize it, to name it in yourself and to sit with it and then to start finding small ways to move forward is the way forward, is the way 
to to help yourself heal, to help yourself grow. Um, so be gentle with yourself. Let yourself feel your emotions. Um, it's hard. It's really hard. Um, but create spaces where you are feel safe to access your emotions, to sit and rest. Um, because those are the things that three struggle with the most. Um, and keeping those at the forefront of your mind of accessing your emotions, accessing vulnerability, and creating spaces for rest are the things that threes need the most. And they're the hardest for threes. But uh, that's where you're able to find that authentic self. That's where you're able to uh, to disconnect your your identity from your work um, and live a beautiful life. Yeah, I would say that when you're dealing with threes in your life, especially threes that you love, when you're talking to them, focus more on the fact that don't tell them you love them so much because of the work that they're doing. But say that you love them because of who they are. Because I think that's one thing that will... I get put in an unhealthy space. And not to put this on anyone. This is on myself. But when people tell me of how great of a job I'm doing, I don't ever see that as a compliment. For me personally, I see it more as like... I say thank you, but then I'm like, no, I could be doing better. Mm-hmm. And then I just... And I want people to continue seeing me in that and doing it better. But when someone just is like, hey, I love you for who you are, that hits different. Like, <laughs> it really does. Um, and so I would say that try to really focus on that relationship and loving threes for who they are. So we're going to transition into our time of the song. By the Sleeping at Last, we're going to listen to number three today. And this is their depiction of what a three is like, not only through their lyrics, but through the song. And I'm going to go ahead and play that now.
show today thank you for being vulnerable because that's something that we struggle with thank you for sharing thank you for loving me and being my friend and for loving your church and being the awesome minister that you are just thank you I'm so I love this conversation and I'm glad that I was able to talk about it with you yeah thank you so much for having me I think Talking about my number more and more, especially with other people who share my number, helps me grow. Um, and so I'm grateful to have not only your friendship, but also that Enneagram twinness <laughs> that helps helps me and strengthens me. I mean, it definitely helps me grow. I mean, the fact that I literally didn't even think about... I mean, I thought about the social media and how it's fake, but I've never put it together with my number until this moment, until today... I just, oh, I love learning from you and I love growing with you. So thank you again. Y'all come back next week. Um, I'm going to be with another one of my good childhood friends who also went to Harding with me. And she's going to talk about her experience being a four. But thank you for listening today as we went through the three, through the performer slash achiever, talking about that. Join us next week on Today on the Grand. Yeah.